0: well good evening everybody nice to uh, nice to see your faces and since we 're not even singing, I get to see your faces that's that 's really cool. Uh, welcome to uh, our q and a time with Justin and you who are watching us. Around the world, I'm sure. Uh, welcome as well. We're glad to have you. Uh, just to mention to you who are physically here, in case you got in before I put the table out there, um, uh, Justin's ministry newsletter is available to you there, and uh, the information is is on here about uh, his website and the things that you can purchase through the website if you choose if you want to choose to uh, support. Um, Justin's ministry. You can do that through the website as well, but um, we just want to make this available to you, and uh, if you ever have any problem getting a hold of him, just, you know, check with us. We, 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 we know how to find him. He's not very fast no. to, to run away. <laughs> let's uh, let's begin with prayer. Uh, Father, again, how we thank you for your your marvelous goodness to us in Christ. Thank you for your grace in which we stand. Thank you for your Word, in which we do indeed find everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Bless our time tonight. Make it uh, edifying, we pray, and get yourself glory through us as we apply that which we learn. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Justin, I've come up with two analogies to describe your ministry. Uh, one of them is that it's a little bit like our people here at Heritage that are our safety and security team. Uh, that's, that's a great service you apply to the body of Christ to help keep uh, people safe from confusion, uh, deception, uh, uh, delusion. Uh, and the other one, it's um, slightly more spicy but i heard this from somebody else and i have seen it myself i've been going down the highway a fairly rural place and i've gotten behind one of those trunk uh trucks that is a tanker and it uh and it it pumps out septic tanks and the sign on the back of it is we're number 1 in a number 2 business <laughs> you You, I, I I said that because I knew we'd get in a good mood about that. But uh, like we've said at lunch, we've said other times, you have this remarkable ability to be able to muck around in the things that we don't want people to be deceived by, and remain solid in the truth. And and uh, on behalf of all of us, thank you uh, for uh, for doing that. Um, All right, let's just uh, let's just dive in. I, I think we have. Plenty of questions compared to time allowed, uh, but if we do run out of questions uh, and something has come to your mind, we'll be happy to uh, take questions from you who are here. Um, we'll start with this one, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to mention uh, anybody's names here. I don't think there's anything that would embarrass anybody, but um, very insightful things i uh, start out with this. I listened to one of Justin's interviews with a pastor, and he told a story about a woman at a Christian bookstore looking at the Message Bible, and he had to tell her not to get it and said he would go into it another time as to why. So here's my question. Why is the Message translation an erroneous translation of the Bible? Sad to say, I have several acquaintances that read this translation. What are some points that I can highlight when discussing this transla- translation to these believing acquaintances? Thank you.
1: Great qu- Check, check, check. Oh, did we turn it on? i, t- I just turn it on. Can you all hear me? Yeah. You can? Okay. Oh, yeah, you're right there. Okay. Everybody hear me? Okay. Um, yeah, I remember that. I can see it in my mind's eye right now when that happened. And this same lady also told me that her, t- her two favorite preachers were Joel Osteen and John MacArthur. Okay. Um, So, yeah, so I saw her getting a a copy of the message, and I said, ma'am, I know you haven't asked for my opinion, but I've done a little research on this, and da-da-da-da. So the message, quote-unquote translation, I say that because it's not a translation at all on any level, written by Eugene Peterson... It's garbage. It's garbage. There's two basic approaches to Bible translation. One is a literal approach, and one is a um, more of a, a paraphrase. In other words, you have literal translations, word-for-word translations, as much as you can get word-for-word. I mean, you can't literally do that from Greek to English because they're two different languages, but, but as close as you can get to that. And with literal translations, you would have the English Standard Version, you would have the King James, you would have the New King James, you would have the New American Standard, which is kind of my go-to preaching Bible. Now you also have the Legacy Standard, which is even, I mean, it's brand new, uh, and it's even an improvement upon the New American Standard. So as soon as they have all of that out, right now it's just uh, the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs, but once all of that comes out, that'll be my go-to preaching. So... Those are literal translations. Then you have what you call paraphrases, and that's not word for word but more of a thought for thought. And so under paraphrases, you would have, like, the NIV, which is as literal a paraphrase as you can get, and it'd still be a paraphrase, but it's, it is a paraphrase. It's not word for word. It's more of a thought for thought. Then you would have the New Living. Um, uh, some of those translations, the... Um, what's another paraphrase you living translation i guess a living translation um living bible. the living bible yeah and uh so but then further off the end of that you have things like the message the message it's not even a paraphrase you could pick up a copy of the message and open it up and read it and honestly you wouldn't even recognize it as scripture uh the first problem with it is it was written by one man. And any time you have a, a version of the Bible that's written by one man, that's an immediate red flag. There's no accountability. Uh, th- so that's an immediate red flag. You just write that off instantly. The same would go, for, by the way, for the Passion Translation. That's a new one that's very popular. It was also written by one man, and so throw that one away too. Uh, the message and I've done some study on this, it denigrates the deity of Christ, at times outright denies it. It strongly suggests that Jesus is not the only way to be saved. I've written a whole article on this, and, uh, and I think that's post- it's posted on my website. You can find it. Just poke around there a little bit, you'll find it. And the message not only, it not only does not condemn homosexuality, it actually gives an implicit endorsement. To homosexuality, as long as it's done out of love, and and I've I've pulled this up just as one example. You're familiar with uh, Romans chapter 1, 26, or twenty eight rather through thirty two, and um, let me read it real quickly. I'll read this to you out of Romans one. And just as they did not see the fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, grief, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, boastful, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, uh, without understanding. Let me see. Hang hang on. Uh, I skipped this. Did I start in the wrong place? Yeah. 26. Sorry. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also men abandon the natural function of the woman, burn in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So very clear denunciation of homosexuality. In the message of Romans 1, it says, worse followed, refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women. Men didn't know how to be men sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another, women with women, men with men, all lust, no love. You see the loophole. The insinuation is, oh, well, if they had just done this out of love, then it would have been okay. So what made it wrong was not that it was men with men, men women with women, but that there was no love involved. So it gives uh, an implicit endorsement for a loving homosexual relationship, which there is no such thing as a loving homosexual relationship. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about uh, homosexuality, and the message version of it just omits that, just omits it, doesn't even include it. So the message is, it's, it's heresy, it's absolute heresy. Um, we are not at liberty to interpret the Bible however we want to. We're not at liberty. If you want to play loosey-goosey with a text of green eggs and ham, knock yourself out. That's fine. Go, dog, go. Sure, whatever you want to do. Not the Word of God. And so if you have a copy of the message, please know that you are not reading the Bible. You're not. It's it's garbage. Use it for kindling. Use it for target practice. If you want to sight in your deer rifle, it's good for that, but that's about it.
0: Uh, Scott and I both share um, part of the legacy of Dr. Robert Thomas. He was, I think, the finest New Testament scholar on the planet. Greg, uh, Greg has studied under him as well. Um, and Dr. Thomas was part of a team. Was, oh, this was before, way before you were saved, Scott. And uh, they, they worked on uh, how to eval- objectively evaluate the uh, literalness and accuracy of Bible translations. And they came, actually came up with a a way to assign a numerical value to um, to to the quality of a translation, and it's like golf: the lower the score, the better. Zero would be you're reading the Hebrew and the Greek, but you can't take everything from Hebrew and Greek and put it in a one-to-one correspondence. So you have to um, uh, accommodate different. Uh, different verbs, different verb systems. You're going from inflected language into a non-inflected language. You have to sometimes even add a word to make it work in English. And so they assign a deviation value to them. And uh, if you take those that Justin mentioned, um, uh, New America Standard, uh, King James, New King James, uh, ESV, the English Standard Version, those are the best known ones. Um, they all have a deviation value that's in the range, and this is like how many deviations per 100 words. And they have several key passages that they that they use to describe that uh, to, to to evaluate that. The most literal one in the English tra- in the English language is the American Standard. You probably don't own one. It was done in 1901. That's why the new American Standard is called the. New American Standard. The Lachman Foundation uh, funded uh, putting that into more contemporary English in the 1970s, and then it was updated in 1995. There's an update in 2020 that's not a good one, sadly, but this one that Justin mentioned, the Legacy Standard Bible, is going to be very helpful. Well, those have a deviation value in about the, the 15 to 25, I'm not sure about ESV, where it stands um, when you move to the NIV, which is the best done thought-for-thought translation in the English language, and by the way, the NIV is the most used English translation in the world because we're not the only English speakers. Uh, you go to uh, Australia, um, the, um, the the British nations, British Commonwealth, uh, it you're you're going to see you're going to hear the NIV, uh, uh, even alister uh, Alistair Begg uh, uses, the, uses the NIV. Uh, I wish I could fix him, but he hasn't asked me. So uh, when, you, when you go to the, to the NIV and a couple of others, their deviation value is about 100. Um, and back in the days I was doing it, you, you would move over to the, the the Living Bible, and it was, it was about 300. Um, I think they would have to go to a logarithmic scale if they ever did that on the... <laughs> On the, uh, on the message, because it's just, it is literally off the, it, it, it is not based on the original languages um, uh, at all. Uh, Scott, do you have a, isn't there a booklet or an article that, um, with the recommendations and evaluations of Bible translations? Uh,
2: Dr. Thomas has done a book yeah. that is, uh, I, I don't recall the title exactly, How to Rate um, or how to choose a Bible translation? I believe is the title of it.
0: I, I think I may have it. If you want to uh, borrow it or look it up, and
2: okay. I do as well. So if you're interested, okay. uh, borrow
0: his because they never come back. Um,
2: <laughs> that's okay. You're
0: welcome to it. That's okay. I'm I'm you know I'm older than you. They can take mine. All right. Um, I, two questions here that that uh, go back to back, and there uh, I'll I'll just we'll take them one at a time. But very. Very practical, everyday, Christian-living Bible application. Um, How should Christians deal with the contradictory preferred pronouns all over the culture today and in the workplace? Some advocate ignoring them in the third person but using the preferred pronouns in the second person to be respectful of a person's preferences. Is that right, or is that capitulating to a lie against God's creation? Should consideration be given for possible negative consequences that could result in the workplace, or does the previous concern trump that?
1: I'd say the previous concern trumps that. Um, God made man in His image, in the image of God. He made them male and female. Um, it, is, it is an insult to the Creator to refer to a man as a woman. You know, Bruce Jenner, he's decided to run for governor, you know. And even on Fox News, which is supposedly conservative, but they refer to Bruce Jenner as a she. They'll they'll say, you know, oh, Bruce Jenner's going to run for governor and she, blah, blah, blah. He is not a she. Bruce Jenner is a man in a dress. Do a DNA test. You know, liberals say they're all about science. Well, there's the science. Do a DNA test. He's a dude. And to refer to a, a biological male as a woman or a biological female as a man, is an ins- it's an insult to that person. It's an insult to God. And you're doing that person no favors in, in enabling them in their delusion and enabling them in their sin. The most loving thing we can do for someone is to tell them the truth. That is the most loving thing we can do to to acknowledge in any way blessed is a man who is not condemned by what he approves romans fourteen twenty two and you know if a guy walks up to me and he's wearing a dress and he wants me to call him a she, i'm not going to do it. I'm doing him no favors by doing that, I'm like no, you're a man um so yeah and and are there consequences in the job place? Yeah, quite possibly in the day and age in which we live. But we all say we have a high view of the sovereignty of God. Then we need to act like it. We need to speak the truth, do what is right before God, and trust him for the results. And if that means penalties to us, if that means persecution, if that means losing our job, so be it. Um, Do the right thing. Trust God for the results.
0: There are some people um, navigating that minefield uh, as believers, trying to do it well. There's the uh, lawsuit that involved a professor at a Christian college, and he refused to use uh, misrepresentation pronouns. So um, he would either, he would call them by their last name, or Or not call them that? How, how do you feel about that sort of uh, you you're not going to affirm something that isn't true, but uh for example we have we have teachers in the room, and uh, you know we have parents that are deciding that their nine year olds are not what they really are um, uh, wh- wh- where Where do you see that line? Do you just say i'm absolutely going to call you Bobby and not Betty' Um and, but uh how about using a last name? How about not using a name um is is there a uh, is there a well you 're not a teacher in a classroom where would you draw the line if you if you were there
1: well i my guess is that using someone 's last name would probably only buy you so much time. I think eventually you 're going to have to use a pronoun i mean it just comes up quickly so um yeah i I just you you stick to reality, um, stick to what is right, stick to what is true, and as I said, you're just you're doing no one any favors. If if someone is in that sin, the most loving thing you can do for that person is to tell them the truth. Um, Scott, do you want to?
2: I don't know that there is any help. I think that's the reality. We want, we are known by our love, and the most loving thing that we can do for people is to proclaim the truth, to let them know that they're living in a lie and a delusion that if they continue in, we'll send them to hell. And we don't want that for anyone, certainly even our worst enemy, let alone these, especially the precious children. And the effects of this on our culture are uh incredible and if we won't stand for truth then who will
1: and, and while we're talking about these kind of issues just kind of tangentially here I'd like to say this we need to keep in mind that people are not lost because they're homosexual or transgendered or whatever they're homosexual because they're lost does that make sense they're not lost because they're homosexual they're homosexual because they're lost Same thing with transgendered or whatever. So sometimes I'm asked, well, how do you share the gospel with a homosexual or a transgendered person? There really is no such thing as a transgender, but whatever. Uh, You share the gospel with that person the same way you share the gospel with anybody else. Because that person's not going to go to hell because they're homosexual or whatever. They're going to go to hell because they've got a thousand other sins. They're also liars. They're thieves. They're blasphemers. They, They... there's a thousand other sins that they've committed. So you share the gospel with them the same way you share the gospel. You don't have to drill down on homosexuality. Now, if someone claims to be a Christian, oh, yeah, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior and Lord, but I'm a homosexual. Then you drill down on it. Then you say, no, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, no, you're not. There's no such thing as a gay Christian, so. The power is the gospel. And, if, and if, if God saves that person, if that person is truly converted, guess what's going to go away? Homosexuality will go away.
0: Well, you may have just opened some great doors for our benevolent fund to take care of all of the unemployed uh, <laughs> folks around here. Uh, it, no, I, I was mentioning to Justin, I, I, I know that uh, several people uh, who are part of the Heritage Bible Church family uh, work for uh, corporations that are, uh, if it's a slippery slide, they got to be about ready to get to the bottom. You know, they're, they're, they they that they are forcing people to um, to do um, D E I is that D E I D I D I E D E I Okay, yeah, um, it makes you want a D I E uh, to uh, to go through it. And if you don't know what that is, good, you've got a job that you don't have to find out what that is. Um, But, uh, you know, we had another question of um, uh, how should a Christian respond when his or her job is threatened with termination for failing to embrace uh, CRT or transgenderism. Uh, Would you see any difference between those things? Uh, I I mean, the the transgenderism is so clear, Uh, there isn't such thing, but... Um, when, when corporations are adopting this CRT mindset, uh, c- critical race theory, that, that everything is about race, everything is about uh, oppression, uh, oppressors and the oppressed. Those are the categories of people. Um, CRT is a, an absolutely racist, alleged solution to racism mm-hmm. because it's all about race and it's, and it's not about... Um, treating people in the in the image of God. Do you see any, any distinction between those two if they were coming down the pike in your in your job situation?
1: Uh, CRT, uh, critical race theory, intersectionality, social justice, and all these things. I, you know, it, you expect the world to uh, employ, employ godless, worldly philosophy. In its, in in the earth realm, I suppose, in the in the secular realm, you expect that. I don't know that. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not in this in the uh, corporate world, so I don't I don't know exactly what that would look like, in the you know if you work for some corporation and there, I don't know exactly. And I, I guess I'd have to see the example given, but uh, but I, I would draw a deep line in the sand around the church. You don't allow that stuff into the church. You, the, the world has nothing to teach the church, nothing. And uh, social justice, critical race theory is, is the most, um, it is an absolute cancer that has, that is, it is a worldly philosophy that is, for us, for evangelicals, it's disguising itself as a theological movement, but it's a political movement. It's a Marxist, socialist, communist, political worldview that is disguising itself as theology to make inroads into our circles and it's been astonishingly successful unfortunately um by the way you know how many races there are in the world right one that's it one one race
0: their pastor did a fairly good job on that last summer it's
2: interesting the just the uh effect and the depth that critical race theory and DEI training are going not just in our corporations. Uh was recently speaking with a friend whose son works for crew and which used to be Campus Crusade for Christ. And they are now preparing to go through a DEI training, diversity, equality, and and Inclusive. diversity, equity and inclusiveness, is that what it is, or something to that nature. And so it's it's pervading even into the Christian world or those that would allege themselves and call themselves Christians. So it's, it's moving so quickly and deeply into so many areas, and yet I find it wonderful that just recently the state of Idaho put out a statement indicating that they would not bring in such aberrant perspectives at a government level. So we feel like, and a lot of the corporations are saying, well, we have no choice, we have to do this, this is a movement across our country, and yet we have one of our 50 states praise God, the one that we're in, that uh, will not uh, bow to these horrific endeavors.
0: Good. Good. So they say. It, it, it. I mean, it's going to be an ongoing battle. There will be chipping, 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 chipping until they can get a big enough crack to drive a wedge in. All right, let's move to something more fun. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, very succinct question. I have heard us people like us uh, being accused of worshiping the bible how would you respond
1: well i, I mean you, you don't worship the, the 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 paper and the but the, the word of god is theonustos it is god breathed uh it is god's revelation of himself and uh so i think this whole thing of bibliolatry we we don't worship the bible that has always got an agenda behind it always 100 percent of the time anytime you hear that they are trying to they're trying to drive a wedge between god and his word and and that is that you can't do that You, you cannot do that it is god breathed um And it always leads to theological liberalism, always, always, 100% of the time. Same thing with social justice, always, always, always leads to theological liberalism, full-blown apostasy. Error always begets more error, right? Paul says it spreads like gangrene. Uh, Error left unchecked always begets more error and leads you to to apostasy. So it's it's a false dichotomy. Yeah, it's one of those
0: things that's hard to answer the question because, like you say, it's a false question.
1: It's a false uh, question, yeah, right.
0: Yeah. John 1.1 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. That's right. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the, the incarnation of the Word of God is the Son of God. So just you're, you're, if you let yourself get sucked into that question, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those, I'm um, not sure what logical fallacy to call it, but it's, just a, it's a faulty dichotomy. Uh, there there is no there is no such thing no we don't worship the bible but uh, whose bible is it it is god's you know it, it is his word um, it, it is his word to us okay uh, justin what well, you got your bible up would you read 1st Thessalonians 5:20 and then we'll have a question
1: mm-hmm. Do well for verse nineteen. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prof- prophetic utterances.
0: Okay, not a long verse. Okay, uh, the question is: um, I've heard First Thessalonians five twenty. I think you were right to read nineteen with it. Uh, I've heard that used as a critique of cessationism. Remember what cessationism? We believe that the that the apostolic gifts mentioned in uh, uh, sec- referred to in Second Corinthians twelve um, of Uh, tongues, interpretation of tongues miracles, healings that those gifts are not operating beyond the era of the uh, of the apostles. They have ceased. Doesn't mean spiritual gifts have ceased, but those particular miraculous signs of an apostle have ceased. So, cessationism is our view, that those have stopped. All the other gifts are in full operation. So, I have heard First Thessalonians 5.20 uses a critique of cessationism. How would you respond to those who use this passage to accuse cessationists of despising prophecy?
1: Yeah, well, uh, I would say a couple of things. One, uh, anytime you read Scripture, you've got to put yourself in the context of its original recipients. And if you come up with a meaning to a particular verse of Scripture that would not have made sense to its original recipients, then you've got the wrong meaning. So uh, you, you've got to do That's just one of the disciplines of hermeneutics. And for First Thessalonians five, nineteen and 20, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, you can't use that as an argument for the charismatic position today. Uh, I do not believe that, uh, as, as, as Jim said, there are no modern day prophets today in the sense there is no revelation being given outside of scripture that is closed. Uh, God has re- fully revealed himself to us in his word, so that's done. And the charismatic argument, well, it says right there, how can you despise prophetic utterances which do carry divine authority? How can you, uh, it says, do not despise them, so how can you say they have ceased? Well, much in the same way that you can say the same thing, And the same argument, by the way, is made by charismatics with 1 Corinthians 14.39 when Paul says, do not forbid to speak in tongues. So the same thought is is here, 1 Thessalonians 5.20, as 1 Corinthians 14.39. Charismatics say, how can you say do not speak in tongues when the Bible clearly says do not forbid to speak in tongues? Well, the answer is quite simple. When this was written, the apostolic gifts were still in operation. That was in the apostolic age, and so the apostolic gifts were still very much in operation. And so what Paul is saying basically is this. Uh, he says, I'm not saying don't do it. You've just got to do it within biblical parameters. You've got to do it correctly. The Corinthians were not doing it correctly. They were confusing pagan gibberish with the genuine gift of languages, better said than uh, the gift of tongues. And so he was writing in a day and age in which those gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, were still in operation. So he's saying, don't, I'm not forbidding it. Don't despise it. Just do it within biblical parameters. Must be done by two or at the most three each in turn. Let one interpret for tongues. Uh, do not despise prophetic utterances. And Paul goes on to say, "But examine everything. Test everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good." So, um, it's got to be done within biblical, biblical parameters. But those gifts have ceased, as as Pastor Jim just said. They're no longer in operation.
0: And and. Uh 1 Thessalonians was uh, most likely the earliest of Paul's epistles, so not even the rest of what Paul had written yet was was available to them. So they would have evaluated based upon the corpus of Scripture that they had, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and what little bit of New Testament revelation was there, and uh, not even all four Gospels were written by the right. time that Paul wrote right. The First Thessalonians. So uh, again, uh, you've got to interpret in light of what would the original readers have understood, the original author to have meant by uh, by those words. But that is a tricky one. I mean, that's uh, somebody can throw that in your face. You know, well, it says don't forbid speaking in tongues. Why do you forbid me to speak in tongues? Well, then you have to go to the definition of tongues, which is not what is being called uh, tongues today. Right. Anything you want to add? uh,
2: I I think that that covers it. And even as Justin spoke to us this morning, and any of you that uh, perhaps online didn't hear that, you need to go back and listen to that message because all of these heretical groups will take a passage of Scripture out of context as a proof text to confirm what they're saying. And that's nothing new. We've seen that throughout the ages. It was the same issue with Galatians 3.28 and the feminist movement. And uh, we have to take Scripture in its context and look at the analogy of the faith as it relates to the rest of the Bible. And these groups don't do that. They try to isolate one element to create their argument. And if you want to take one verse or portion of the verse out of the Bible, you can make it say a lot of things that it's not intended to, to mean, particularly out of context.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I can uh, cheer about Justin making the point this morning, um, uh, like, uh, for example, he used an example from uh, for, from Charles Stanley. I'd be happy to sit down and have lunch with Charles Stanley. I, I, he, he's he's not a uh, he's not a false prophet. He's not a false teacher. Uh, he, he's in the right theological camp, um, but what Justin illustrated was that this mindset that was limited to the um, probably the Pentecostal and four square denominations in the early twentieth century made a a quantum leap into uh, the broader world of evangelicalism with the the spread of the modern tongues movement in nineteen sixty two, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, the, at the, the, Epis- the, the, yeah, yeah. The, the Episcopal Church in uh, Van Nuys, California, real close to where I uh, the, to where I grew up. But then that that book um, that Justin also mentioned this morning, um,
1: experiencing God,
0: experiencing God, a uh, Blackaby's mm-hmm. book in the in the nineties. I reviewed that book when it came out, uh, and another several other pastor friends uh, and I did uh, the same thing, and and I said this is trouble. Because this is somebody who is a Southern Baptist. And if you wanted to pick a, a whole group with whose theological uh, position, we would pretty much agree. That's about the biggest one you could find in the whole wide world. This is a Southern Baptist teaching, not the the whole shoot and match of of uh, charismatic stuff, but the, the idea that there is revelation uh, outside of, outside of Scripture, and you ought to be receiving it and sure enough what's happened it's 30 years later and that's the, that's the prevailing opinion it's not just a it's not an aberration anymore well, it's not considered an aberration anymore it is an aberration so um you know just, just uh, be wise you know and, and um, uh, somebody was saying to me you know, after uh, church this morning oh man I used to record Charles Stanley now I don't think I can um uh, but uh, well, you, you can. I mean, if, if, if you were sitting here and you're saying, uh, the doctors tell me I only have six weeks to live and, uh, and I'm afraid I'm going to hell. Um, Dr. Stanley, you know, can I be saved? He'd give you the right answer. So uh, understand it's that spectrum. And that spectrum is now extending far into um, broader evangelicalism. So, you know, thanks for doing a number one job in the other part of the business. So figuring that out for us. Um, all right. Um, this is a very good question. How do you differentiate between a false teaching and a false teacher? Specific example, R.C. Sproul taught infant baptism at a point in his life. He never changed, did he? Un- until he died?
1: Until he died, yeah. yeah. Now, he's, okay. now he understands it. Now, right? now he
0: understands believer's baptism. Um, Okay, but I, that that opens up a, a a very good question of discernment. You know, when do you call someone a false teacher? When do you call a thing or a concept a false teaching? And how do you distinguish?
1: Uh, so, heresy is a word that we generally uh, denote by with which we generally denote soul destroying, gospel denying, you know, uh, truth. Heresy. Constitutes something that is antithetical to the gospel, and if you imbibe it, your soul is in peril. Um, So all heresy is false teaching, but not all false teaching is heresy. Okay, Um, Infant baptism, it's wrong. It is. Is that heresy? No, it's not heresy. R.C. Sproul held to infant baptism, and I have absolutely no doubt that R.C. Sproul is in the presence of Christ right now. So, um, you know, eschatology, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, divisions within all those, um, they can't all be right, but none of them in and of themselves are heresy. Um, All but one position has got to be an error, but it's none of those are heretical positions. So um so just because someone teaches something that is false does not necessarily make that person a false teacher. Okay. Does that make sense? So um I've even heard John MacArthur say that he knows somewhere in his theology he's got something wrong. Um you know, it, we've all got blind spots. And we don't know what they are because if we did, then by definition they wouldn't be blind spots, but we've all got them. But uh, so somewhere John MacArthur's got something wrong. Somewhere I've got something wrong. You know, I personally, I don't know where you are, either of you are on this. I personally don't, I'm not convinced that Matthias was a real apostle. I, I think the, the apostles jumped the gun on that. I think they kind of, Judas was dead and they looked around and said, like, well, we've got to find somebody to, oh, see, see. So,
2: I may that, be wrong. That's
0: the on one that. place I find I disagree with you. Is that okay? So,
1: okay. so I, I'm
0: I Switzerland. Could Switzerland? Oh. Yeah, I'm
2: Switzerland. I'm not going to jump into the middle of that.
0: Okay.
1: Oh, um, oh, oh, you're
0: Switzerland. Which which that's way did you break the tie?
1: <laughs> which way did you go?
2: <laughs> I'm Switzerland. Yeah. He's
1: oh, okay. he's neutral. So uh, you know I, I could be wrong about that, but that's not heresy. So. But
0: it's a long ways from saying uh, Matthias wasn't an apostle to saying Todd White is an apostle.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah all... so, um, and
0: this opens uh, another way to uh, maybe phrase this question that, that, that might help you to think about it is, and And this is a never-ending, very profitable discussion to decide what are absolutely essential doctrines... And then what are secondarily important doctrines? And is there such thing as a tertiary, a doctrine of tertiary importance? Okay, you can't say um, there are many ways to heaven. That's out. I mean, the the gospel is absolutely essential. But then, uh, like we say, okay, somebody hears the gospel, believes the gospel. Do you um, uh, uh, sprinkle them, pour over them, dunk them, or tell them baptism isn't for today. Okay. All four of those positions exist in the body of Christ. So uh, that clearly is a secondary thing. Well, there, there's another one too. You're not saved until you're baptized. Ooh, that's a big problem. Okay, so uh, if, if I know um, whoever answered this, if you want to talk about it more, uh, we, we can do that in person. But uh, very important to think about... Um, distinguishing something that doesn't square with Scripture, that would be a false teaching. But a false teacher is someone or a heretic is someone who misrepresents the gospel, the identity of Jesus Christ, the, the nature of God. Um, you know, our, our, we, live in, we live in an area heavily salted with, um, with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, um, and, and they want to be called Christians. But their definition of Jesus Christ is in complete contradiction to Scripture. That's a so somewhere between that and um, you know the the method of baptism, how many warts on the Antichrist nose? You know, there's things that just don't matter to salvation. I think that would be the the essence of it. Do you have a different way you usually say it, Scott? No, I think
2: that's exactly it. It's as Paul said in Galatians. If they're teaching another gospel, it's anathema, it's accursed, and those people are false teachers and are heretical. We can't compromise on the fundamental doctrines of Scripture. And we have to be very careful about those who would uh, have different perspectives and be ready to discuss those secondary and if there are tertiary doctrines in, in the Bible because all of it is God's Word. And all of it is for us, for our growth in holiness and obedience. And we can't compromise on it, and we need to continue to hold fast to all of it. And,
0: and, and that comes down to getting real practical sometimes, too. Um, uh, Scott mentioned uh, crew Back in my day, it was Campus Crusade for Christ. And not all that many years ago, actually, uh, um, about the same time that I began, I began going to Russia to, um, uh, to teach there, I was asked to go do almost exactly the same thing on behalf of Campus Crusade for Christ in another country. And, um, and it, you know, hey, would you like to spend two weeks teaching the Bible full time for, you know, every, every day? Well, hey, you know, I'm in, you know, put me at the, put me at the front of the line. Uh, and, they, and they wanted me to teach a book that dealt with, uh, with, with baptism and uh, communion, a certain book um, that has those in there. And, and they told me that um, when it come to the, came to, comes to that and it comes to eschatology, that I had to teach all the different views as equally viable and not take a position. I said, I'm sorry, I'm not your guy. I can't tell you this passage means three mutually exclusive and contradictory things simultaneously. And it doesn't matter what you choose. It does matter what you choose. And if you choose to... If you choose to disagree with me, and it is a secondary doctrine, we can still have great fellowship in, 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 in Christ. But that, to me, was a seed of the destruction of that organization, that we won't take a stand on what Scripture says and what it means by, by what it says. So, uh, again, that would be the kind of thing that it's the crack in the door, and, and now, 20 years later, the door is open, and they're doing DEI training. And uh, critical race theory.
2: I think it's important to note too, not so much for our, our folks here at Heritage Bible, but perhaps for those online, there are a number of our churches in our country that are taking those kind of perspectives that we won't take a stand on eschatology, that we won't take a stand on cessationism. And uh, it is those elements, when you start hearing a church that's saying that they won't take a stand on God's Word, it's time for you to find a new place to worship the Lord.
0: Somebody fellowshiped with us when I taught uh, the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights, what, two, three years ago. It took, took two, two sessions, two seasons to do it. And uh, somebody came here and, and, uh, uh, and for those sessions, and they said that they had asked at their home church uh, you know, hey, could, could we study the book of Revelation? And the answer was no, we wouldn't do that. It's too controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm glad to minister to them, but, um, you know, when uh, you're, you're in the right place, but, um, uh, you know, if, if, you, if somebody, if you have a family member, you have a friend who's hearing something like that, we won't teach that portion of Scripture because it's too whatever, whatever. Uh, Get out of there, okay? Because if the if the foundation isn't broken yet, it's cracked, and if it's not in flames, it's getting heated. So, okay, I'm, this is supposed to be your community. Okay, um, uh, I have a TMU prof. TMU is what? It's a TLA. Bruce taught me a TLA is a three letter acronym. TMU is the TLA for the Masters University. Okay. Um, we have exactly one person at Heritage who is attending um, remotely the Master's University. I won't say who asked this question. Um, but no, but okay, so this is in the family here. This is, in, you know, uh, uh, Scott's a graduate of, uh, of the Master's Seminary. I was, there was no Master's Seminary when I, uh, when I went to seminary. I have a TMU prof who recommended the chosen television show, because he thinks it provides some good context that we often overlook in the Gospels. I wondered what your thoughts are on that. Uh, before you answer, how many of you have watched um, the Chosen? Oh yeah, that's not quite as many as that, but it's but it's not a, it's not an uh, infinitesimal number. This is practical. Uh, maybe you better explain first what the Chosen is, and then um, answer.
1: Yeah, the the chosen is a um, a series, mini series, I guess you could call it, on the life of Jesus. And um, I, full disclosure, I haven't watched any of it. Uh, I've seen the trailers, I've read a little bit, but I know enough to know that it is. No, you you should not watch it. At least not for any kind of edification, at all. Um, in fact, just this afternoon, I knew this question was coming, and so this afternoon I watched a trailer of of The Chosen. And I, I've seen a couple of other ones, but I watched this one, and, and it, I, honestly, I was appalled. I was appalled. It, it, the, the Jesus character in this thing was using not profanity, but was using just slang, you know, just like saying things like, we really got to th- shake things up, and, you know, just kind of slang vernacular, and stuff that Jesus never said. At all, Um, they portrayed his ministry as kind of a, almost a social justicey kind of a ministry, and like making the world better and righting wrongs and social injustices and that kind of thing. It 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 had a very very much a social justice flavor to it. But but um, no, the for one thing, if, if you're dealing with holy things. If someone came to me and said, "Hey, Justin, uh, we're going to we're going to make a movie off of the life of Christ, and we want you to portray Jesus," I would like, are you kidding me? I, that every fiber of my being recoils at that. That I or anyone could even would even con- consider portraying. The second person of the triune God, the thrice holy son of God, portraying him on on film? No. No, 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 a thousand times no. I, I can't even I can't even wrap my mind around that. Um you're you're dealing with holy things and and you're automatically putting images in people's minds of of God. Let's remember, Jesus is God. You're putting images of God in people's minds that are not accurate. Carry that out to its logical conclusion. I mean, that's, that's just another form of blasphemy. And so these are very serious things, very serious things. We're, it's kind of like I was saying about the message. We're not at liberty to play loosey-goosey with the text of the Bible. You know, if you want to do a, a rendition of the, I don't know, you know, s- something else, or or if you want to, like, make a movie off of, like, Martin Luther, you know, that, okay, whatever, that's fine. Christ? Uh-uh. No. Um, and the same thing goes for the passion of the Christ. You know, a lot of people were just gaga over the passion of the Christ about, I guess it's been about 20 years ago now that that came out. And, um, no, that's, um... You're playing with holy things. You're dealing with holy things. Uh, no portrayal of Christ could, could even begin. Not even done by the most sincere of of people could even begin to, to... You're not going to do him justice. You're going to do him injustice by even attempting to portray Christ in some kind of a you know, film, fictional film. So um, I know I, I may be way to the... I, but I feel very strongly about this. I, I just, I do. So
0: Now, so that you raise, who raised your hands don't have to slink out the back door.
1: Um, yeah, I didn't uh, mean yeah. That's
0: okay. That's what you're here for. But you do it with that wonderful southern twang, and it's charming when you say it. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I, I have a huge problem with just what he said. The second commandment: You shall not make any image of anything in heaven. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 if you pressed me to go all the way to the logical conclusion of my own personal convictions, there, I think, as Justin said, any portrayal of Jesus is a uh, is a violation of the second commandment. Okay, but these are people who who uh, who believe they are well motivated. I mean, their, their, their intentions are good. They want this to be evangelistic. And uh, I have found out, for example, that um, some of our friends in Russia who have, are using their English club and English camp as an evangelistic tool are watching The Chosen with Russians who are interested in English. They have to watch it in English. I don't think it's in Russia. Um, so uh, they're, they're using it, and their purpose is to get them into the Gospels, the the, the written, inspired uh, Word of God. I might not have chosen that strategy, and they didn't ask me if I thought it was a good idea, but I certainly support them in their desire to, uh, to, uh, to share Christ. I don't think you're going to hell if you watch The Chosen. Okay? Hey, um... Uh, I watched The Mandalorian. Um, yeah, you, could, you, could make a case, you could make a case against me. Um, I didn't have to pay Disney for the subscription. it was a gift, okay. Um, but it, it, you get the point that this is one of those things where I, I think it would be in the category of, uh, of doubtful things. I don't have any doubt about it. I get squeamish over it. I didn't watch. I I think I had seen a little bit of a trailer one time. I didn't know much about it. I knew the question was coming, so I recorded a session. And uh, Marcia and I sat down to watch it. I turned it off after. I don't think I lasted ten minutes. It was. uh, It it was the one where they were talking about Peter having to do extra fishing to deal with his tax delinquency. Okay, that is not at all within bounds in exegeting scripture. Okay, Uh, now if they're Learning about first-century life in Israel—that could be valuable—and like—and I think that's probably what the the prophet's thinking here. It can give you some uh, some background. Um, one of my co-teachers, when I was on the faculty at at, at Masters before he took kids to um, the, to Israel, he had them watch um, Fiddler on the Roof, and he had them watch. Um, uh, there was a series back then on David, and it actually did a pretty decent job with some of the archaeological th- things we know through archaeology. And the whole point of Fiddler on the Roof was uh, the, to let to let people see the the grips of a of a culture rooted in tradition, extra extra biblical tradition, and the grips that that had on people. So, I'll. I'll grant that brothers and sisters in Christ could use this as a tool. Um, I don't think, you know, it's... Uh, trust me, you can see worse things on the evening news uh, as far as the health of your soul is, is concerned. But um, another thing I think is going to happen, um, you're the in crowd here, you probably already know, but uh, our elders are going to do a review of it. Um, and um, and we're going to try to give an objective evaluation uh, so to help people understand so that we can make use of the tools that we have and and try to help keep people from getting things uh, splattered on that. Okay. Well, I made enough trouble with that one. I didn't disagree with you, brother. I, I know, okay. I know just, you did. Just, yeah, just, just so yep. you know. I just have to live with these folks. I, know,
1: I, understand. Okay. <laughs> I understand.
0: You get to go home. That's tomorrow. the
1: advantage of being an evangelist. So yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I can...
0: Okay, but you know, He can say it and get out of town, uh, but the other thing is you're not an expert unless you're at least 100 miles away from home. So he's the expert, uh, and and we are your pastors, uh, part of them. All right, Um, a lengthy question, but it also touches on some things that are real practical. Um, If it is possible to know a tree by its fruit, as Jesus said, what metric, and I like him using that term, what metric, if any, should be used to evaluate whether a person is a fellow believer? I realize that only God ultimately knows the sincerity of a person's faith, but it seems that the New Testament teaches that we can have a general idea of whether a person belongs to God or not. Plus, personal godliness is supposed to be the outward evidence of our faith. Should we go by the extent of a person's involvement in Christian ministries, the progress made in the development of their personal character, or simply by whether they continue to hold to the gospel message through the course of their life? Along these lines... You knew there was a trap here, right? right? What could be said about the faith of Ravi Zacharias? Also, would Solomon be considered to be among the Old Testament saints, or was he never a sincere believer since he apparently fell away from God at the end of his life? Thank you. Remember, I have to live with this person. And not, not, it's not my wife, but I have to, you
1: know, be in the yeah. church. Um, okay. So, I, yes, you will know them by their fruits, um, fruits of the Spirit. Uh, Look for not just intellectual assent to basic gospel facts, not just to, yes, I believe in Jesus, yes, I'm a Christian. Look for a change in that person's life, a marked change. You can't go from being dead in trespasses and sins to alive in Christ and there be no change. It will impact you. Um, a love for God's Word, a desire to read and study God's Word, a over time, a... Growing pattern of personal holiness. We should love what God loves. We should hate what God hates. So over time, the general pattern—we all have—you know—we stumble, we do things, uh, but but the general pattern is that we grow in holiness. We increase in sanctification. Uh, there should be an increasing pattern of holiness, a decreasing pattern of sin in our lives. Um, there should be a love for the brethren. Um, there should be a godly sorrow over sin. That, that Paul speaks of in Second Corinthians 7 when we grieve over our sin because we, we know our sin grieves God. And I tell people, just as much as we should want a Savior from hell, we should want a Savior from our sin. And there's a lot of people out there who want a Savior from hell because their conscience accuses them, but they don't want a Savior from sin. If you want a Savior from hell and not a Savior from sin, then you have a Savior from neither. So a godly sorrow over sin. Um, a love for the church. Someone who claims to be a Christian and yet has no love for the local church. Got no reason to believe that that person is truly in Christ. If you love Christ, you're going to love his bride. Um, R- Ravi Zacharias. If you're not aware, I mean, there' huh, a lot with Ravi Zacharias. A ton of sexual immorality. Tons of it, gross, horrific things. When you, I've never been a fan of Ravi Zacharias, but when you look at his ministry, he rarely dealt with Scripture. It was philosophy. You rarely saw him deal with a text of Scripture. It was all just philosophical arguments. He was on the road constantly. He had no discernible involvement in a local church, therefore no, no, no accountability. Um, as Christians, we can stumble into sin. All of us sin. 1 John 1, 9 was written to believers. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That is not really a, an evangelistic passage that was written to a church, written to believers. So we can, that's a relational forgiveness there. So we as Christians, we stumble into sin, but we don't swim in it. We don't relish it. We don't enjoy sin when we as christians sin it grieves us it grieves our soul because we understand that our sin grieves god and and so we can stumble into sin but we don't swim in it we don't look for opportunities to sin ravi zacharias wasn't just swimming in sin he had a scuba suit on i mean horrific so you put all that together and there's no evidence as far as i'm concerned that the man knew Christ. Um, so,
2: I think the article that was put out by uh, Cripplegate on Ravi Zacharias is an excellent place for you to go. They do a great job in treating the three possibilities of what was going on in his life, and it would strongly support what Justin has just stated in uh, a longer format, but would be very helpful for you that may have questions about that and with regards to the rest of it and Solomon and whether he was a believer and whether he's in heaven or not, many people want to dance around a lot of these questions, but really we have to come back to the the man or woman in the mirror. What about me? And what about you? How are we dealing with these issues in our lives? And is there fruit? And are we broken over sin? And are we growing in holiness? And is the church the place that we want to be every time the doors are open.
1: Um, it, real, real quick, John 3:36: He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The Something. opposite. What, sorry.
0: Well, wouldn't it be more fun if I just didn't do anything about it? It, it'll be on video for goodness sakes.. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was a burning question about Ravi. Thank you for. Save, th- thank you for saving my life. So, uh, and uh, that's my sister-in-law, by the way. so thank you.
1: Um, the opposite we often think of, well, the opposite of belief is unbelief.: Not really, not intellectually. Not just intellectually. The opposite of belief is disobedience. Notice what it says again. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not, does not believe, it that's not what it says. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The mark of regeneration is obedience. Not perfect obedience, but obedience. Sobering passage.
0: This is scary, but I wanted to ask, anybody here, say in the last uh, four to six weeks, heard a sermon about you will know them by their fruits in that passage? Anybody here? Oh, come on. I did it, okay? That's in Matthew chapter 7, okay? What is the immediate antecedent of them? You will know them. Know who? Who has Jesus just talked about? You can say it out loud, yeah. Yeah, the Pharisee, false teachers. That's specifically who he's talking about. Now, the, the question perfectly legitimately extends beyond that. And and the question there about how can we in general know someone, well, what kind of fruit do we look at? Well, this morning you got a good idea of the fruit of false teachers, you know, in, that, that is a, an explosion of false doctrine, confusion, uh, infiltration of the... Of the church with uh, with error, but in general, you look at somebody, and I often say, if somebody followed you around for a week, would they would they have an idea that you love Jesus? Just by seeing what you do, um, if they audited your checkbook, what would they think of your priorities? Uh, things things like that. That's the fruit of the Spirit at work uh, in you. So um, I, I think you I think you did a great job with that. Um, well we'll go on. Um, In light of the things that you shared this morning, and um, we won't take too much longer, by the way, Uh, in light of what you shared um, this morning and others, um, do you see any cooling off, and this is a question, do you see any cooling off of the acceptance of the prosperity message as people discover that it doesn't work for the mass majority of those who listen? And how long do you think people will remain duped? Even I can handle that last part. But uh, do, uh, <laughs> In other words, uh, do you think we're making any inroads? How often do you see somebody come out of that?
1: Yeah, happily, by God's grace, I see people come out of it regularly. I regularly get emails from people all over the world that God has delivered out of this. And so, uh, yeah, I, by God's grace, I see that a lot. I've never seen any of the big-name preachers come out of it, not not any of the big names anyway. There's some names of, of people that you wouldn't know. Some word-of-faith preachers used to be word-of-faith, and God saved them out of that. Now they preach sound doctrine, uh, but none of the big names. But as far as, uh, you know, do I see the movement slowing? Unfortunately, no. Um, the The last year was not a good one for the prophets.
0: <laughs> you got to give your title. You've got to give your title yeah. of your uh, presentation. Yeah,
1: on. 2020 was the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year for the prophetic movement. Uh, I did a video on my YouTube channel uh, a couple months ago on that, and you can watch that. Uh, you, you talk about a faceplant. I mean, they, they face planted in every imaginable way. Uh, horrific. I mean, just... A, a, a magic eight ball has more prophetic power than any of these false prophets. Rafiki the baboon in The Lion King is more of a prophet than any of these guys or gals. Um, so did it, did it take a hit? Yeah. The prophetic movement took a hit. Um, the thing is, is that false teachers are in and of themselves part of God's judgment. They are part of God's judgment. People will no longer endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers who tickle the ears. And there are a lot of professing, please note my use of that term, professing believers out there who will not endure sound doctrine. They want to claim to be Christians, but they won't endure sound doctrine, so they heap to themselves teachers who tickle the ears. And Joel Osteen is, is part of God's judgment on people. Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, he's part of God's judgment on people. Um, God speaking in Jeremiah chapter five, he says, I have seen a horrible thing in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule on their own authority and my people love it. So, but what will you do in the end? So, um, these false teachers are part of God's judgment. It's not this, this past year has been a bump in the road for the prophetic movement, but People have notoriously short memories, and so they'll go right back to it. In fact, I heard just the other night Kenneth Copeland talking about how um, the last year he has raised, uh, brought in $300 million in his ministry in a year. That's staggering. Um, and this, as bad as this movement is in this country, it's far worse in other parts of the world. You think it's bad here? Go to Africa. Oh, my word. I mean, it, word of faith lingo, prosperity lingo saturates every facet of many African countries. Ghana, Zambia, Uganda, South Africa uh, saturates. and So it's far worse in other parts of the world than it is here.
0: And isn't that amazing because they are so much poorer? Yeah. But that shows you how, you know, Satan markets himself. And the last part of that question was... Um, um, how long will people remain duped? And the answer is,
1: it, yeah. I mean, until until Christ returns, uh, right. indefinitely for for the uh, for the unregenerate indefinitely. But for believers, let me say this: you can be a genuine Christian and be in one of these false churches for a season. You know, as uh, someone who is a brand new believer, and honestly. I've told I've told people this. I've heard Benny Hinn present the gospel, plenty well enough for God to use that to call one of His sheep to Himself. And so, uh, there are zero mature Christians in these churches. Zero, because by definition, if you're a mature believer, you wouldn't be in one of these false churches. So there's zero mature Christians in these churches. There are there is a smattering of some very young believers, brand new sheep, or brand-new Christians, sheep who have just been called to the shepherd. But, you know, we all start off as baby Christians, right? But the thing about babies is is that babies don't stay babies. Babies grow up. And so once that baby Christian begins to mature, as all Christians do, some more quickly than others, but as they begin to mature, they grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They grow in their understanding of the Scripture. They're indwelt by the third person of the triune Godhead who helps them to understand the Word of God before too long you're going to expect that, that person is going to say wait something's wrong here something's wrong here and they're going to get out they're going to get out of the den of wolves and find a real flock of sheep
0: and that's why it's always worth it to keep gently lovingly speaking the truth in love and and doing it as second peter says with great patience and instruction it's easy to get frustrated if you have friends, family, neighbors that are, that are involved in these things. It's very easy to get frustrated, and when you're frustrated, it's easy to get angry. But we've got to remember that if our response is anger, that's a carnal response. Uh, our response has to be a heartbrokenness that, that wants to help people grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. So, Keep sowing the seed. Keep, keep spreading the word. Um, a a, a well placed um, uh, DVD like American Gospel. Uh, just say, hey, hey um, my wife and I have watched this, uh, and we thought it was pretty interesting. You know, would would you maybe you know take a take an evening and 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 watch this, and then uh, and then let's get together and talk about it. Uh, you'd be amazed the impact that that can have. But remember also. Jesus' parable of the wheat and the tares. There are tares that look exactly like uh, wheat. Until when? Until the harvest. And um, and it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that evil men are going to progress from bad to worse. I think that would be referring to the false teachers. You know, um, there's another question here we're not going to get to. Where do you think... This stuff is going well. We don't know, but um, it's going to amaze you that people would buy into it. But we need to realize the only way that somebody comes fully out of that is by salvation. If they are saved and you feed them, they'll grow in the right direction. But if they're if they're just trapped in this stuff, they're blind, and the only thing that can open their blind eyes is the work of the Spirit of God.
2: So. It's the same for all of the unbelieving world, our relatives and, and everyone else. The, as we're told in Jude, that we're on a, a rescue mission, that we're to snatch these out of the fire, hating even the garments polluted by the flesh. It's a horrible thing to consider. But that's the job that God's given us. We're to do the work of an evangelist, to fulfill our ministry. And if not us, Who? We have been given that truth, and it is that truth that we must proclaim to others, whether they be in a, a false church, whether they be in no church, whatever they are, and recognize that we are on a rescue mission to save these. And that's, that's why God has us here.
0: There's one more question that I think well, I wanted to get to, and, and um, I, I think it, it's a good place to end up because it's a question that's going to help bolster your hermeneutics, your ability to uh, think through and understand and interpret Scripture in the way that it that it should be interpreted. Um, and, and it's one of those questions that you say, you read it and you think, oh, that's great, that's great. And then one day you say, hmm, how did that work out? Okay, and here's the question. In Leviticus, when the Israelites were given the law and all the instructions for sacrifices... How was it possible for them to give some items such as fine flour or grain offerings or to make fragrances out of plants that were probably non-existent in the desert and the wilderness where they sojourned? If these were to be carried out after they reached the land that God promised them, what did they offer in the wilderness on the way besides animal sacrifices? Is that all that they had to offer? They only had manna to eat. How do you give a meat offering when you're on a full keto manna diet? <laughs>
1: no. um, yeah, that's a, I, I can honestly, I've been asked a lot of questions. I've never, I've never heard one quite gotcha. like that. Yeah, gotcha. Um, well, you've got, you know, five to six million Hebrews coming out of Egypt, and they didn't leave empty-handed. You know they had a lot of stuff that they were carrying with them, so undoubtedly those items uh, they were carrying along with them. They didn't they didn't leave with empty carts and empty satchels. They they carried a whole bunch of stuff because you're gonna have to have a whole bunch of stuff to feed that size of a group of folks. So so uh, that's one explanation. Um, and Scott, you were talking about.
2: I think that, that's it exactly. God provides those things that he calls us to in our lives and in their lives. And as they plundered the Egyptians, they brought out gold, clothing, they brought out animals, and certainly frankincense and fine spices and all of those things would have been the, the huge proceeds that they took out of the land of Egypt with them. And so clearly I believe that's what uh, God allowed and, them
0: and where did they get their water? God provided it miraculously. So God can miraculously have provided any of those things. But um, I, I think a key to that, this is one of those where, you know, the three most important rules of, con, of, of uh, hermeneutics are context, read the context, pay attention to the context, okay? Um, and here the context is bigger than the book of Leviticus, because they left back in Exodus, and that's where you find out that by God's wonderful providence, they plundered the Egyptians. Uh, they, they took an amazing amount of stuff. Where'd they get all of that fancy stuff for the tabernacle? It all came from, uh, from Egypt. And the fact that they ate manna every day um, doesn't mean there were no animals whatsoever. And if God required animal sacrifices, could He not have also given them animals? And may they might they not have taken animals with them and even done some, some breeding of those animals? We, we don't know. But this is one of those questions that you realize there is an answer, even if I don't yet fully understand what that answer is. Um, and I often ask... Do you really need to know that answer, the answer to that question, to be more holy tomorrow than you are today? And, and I don't mean that to put down the question. It's, it's a legitimate question. It's an honest question. It's kind of a fascinating question, to be honest with you. Um, and maybe um, someday we'll, somebody will do a movie on Moses, and we'll find out um, <laughs> how, how it actually happened. But do you get what I'm saying? There's a combination of I trust God to know that that means what it says. And I know that he provided for them one way or the other, and I don't have to be able to answer that question. And maybe we'll maybe we'll close here, and maybe I think you may can, might um, wax more eloquent on this too. But one of the best things to do when somebody asks you a question like this, I mean, this is Justin Peters, and he'd never heard that question, okay? Even he gets gets blindsided by a question that he's never heard before. You might be talking, talking to somebody about spiritual things, and they ask you a question that you have no idea what the answer is. Here's the, a very good way to do that. You know, I don't, off the top of my head, know the answer to that question. But I have confidence in the Word of God there is a good answer to that question. So I will research that question and then next time we get together, I'll buy the coffee and I'll, and I'll present to you the question and we can talk about it anymore. But I want to ask you this. If your question was answered, would you bow your knee to Jesus Christ? Is that really what is keeping you from saying yes to the gospel? We're begging you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So... If I can answer this question, will you? Uh, and and then you have, you will find out. Number one, is this a genuine friendship? You'll find out. Number two, is this genuine interest? And you may just have planted a seed that the Holy Spirit is going to water and cause to blossom that will lead that person to be convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment. And and, and it won't be your magic words. It'll be the work of God to to open their hearts. Care to? Put an exclamation point on that.
1: Yeah, no, I I thought that was great. Uh, I guess just kind of related to that, you know, (laughs) there are things in the Bible that we do not fully understand. There's nothing in the Bible I don't believe, but there are things that we don't fully understand. Uh, But when when the Word of God does a work in someone's life and regenerates that person... Uh, belief in the Scriptures, confidence in the Scriptures is one of the fruits of that uh, regeneration. So we, we believe it because the Bible teaches it. It's the Word of God. It's the Theonoustos, God-breathed Word. Uh, the Trinity, three in one. God is one being in three persons, each of whom is fully God and yet one God. Do I understand that? My mind can't wrap around that. Do I believe it? Absolutely I believe it because the Word of God teaches it. So yes, I believe it. I, I can't fully understand it. But I'm kind of glad I can't. I mean, if my little pea brain, finite, fallen mind could fully understand the tri- triune God, then, then God wouldn't be nearly as great as, as He is. So um, there are things in the Bible that we can't fully understand, but we do believe them because that's a work of the Spirit. We believe the Word of God. So,
0: all right. Well, we don't want to keep everybody uh, uh, all night long. Um, we can fellowship as long as you would like, but I think we're going to close our uh, official um, session here. And with another big thank you to Justin for uh, for coming. Um, and you're going to have to change your number and get off the internet if you don't want to come back here again, because right. we will hunt you down and we will bring all right. you back. I'd be honored to, um, and, honor and to come We back. We do intend, by the way, to, um, when, when we are able, Lord willing, uh, next spring, uh, be able to again host a Spreading the Heritage Conference, and we're, we're hoping that we can find ways to make it uh, uh, better than ever. So, uh, But uh, Justin's definitely on our list of people that we would want to include uh, as one of the resources for Heritage Bible Church. And you know you always have friends in uh, in the Treasure Valley. Thank you. If you are ever, ever coming this way, so, thank you. Uh, and and thank you, Kathy. Um, can't can't think of uh, how many times, uh, Kathy. Yeah, Kathy. In the middle. In the yeah. You talking about Oh, there Kathy. we go. Okay, oh, she's yeah. back there. Yeah. yeah, I was looking at Karen. I thought, Wait a minute, Kathy's a blonde. Okay. <laughs> thank you for uh, for for your part in this, and uh, you know these two are uh, th- these two are a wonderful team, and. And if you don't believe in the providence of God, ask them how they came to know each other and what the Lord did to make that happen. You'll believe in the providence of God uh, when that is done. Um, Scott, would uh, would you close us in prayer?
2: Sure. I'd be honored to. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for the discussion that we've had tonight, how our minds have been provoked to consider you more fully, to understand more deeply the power of your word and your love for us and the glory that you've shown to us. Father, we thank you for Justin and Kathy for their willingness to come and to share with our church body. We pray that you would continue to bless their ministry, bless them as they return back home, Father, and encourage their hearts. Father, we just ask that you would continue to allow Justin to have your mind as he weeds through the mess of so many heretical elements of this world. May we understand, Father, the importance of knowing these things, and may we be encouraged to recognize that your word is sufficient, and that you have given us all that we need for life and godliness, and that we would grow in our obedience as a result of our time together, that our minds would continue to be stirred with the amazing truths that you've put into your word, that we would desire to know more, because as we learn more about your word, we learn more about you. And this is our our greatest goal. Father, we thank you that we might have a privilege to honor and glorify you with our lives. Help us to do that. Make us ever more faithful to understand, Lord, that this is not simply about our growth and our knowledge, but it is taking the living water of the word that you are pouring into us and to pour it into the world about us that is running headlong to hell as we once were too prior to your saving us thank you for the glory of the gospel and of Jesus Christ our Savior. May he be exalted in all that we do and say and in all of this may you be pleased and for it will give you thanks because we know it is your work and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.